Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Love Rules. Our message this morning is called Discipline of Love. The text is Colossians, the third chapter, the 12th through the 14th verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As a biblical teacher, the Apostle Paul is unparalleled. Next to Christ, Paul is the most gifted and inspired evangelist of the first century and the most prolific writer of the New Testament. You're familiar with his greatest love praise. That's 1 Corinthians the 13. If I, if I speak with tongues of angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. This morning, I chose two other texts from Paul, his letters to the Colossians, because when it comes right down to it, all Paul wrote about was the gift of love. You can turn to any of his texts, and somewhere in there, you're going to learn something about love its meaning, its power, its responsibilities, and its discipline. From the instant Paul had that extraordinary experience on the road to Damascus, he was compelled by his love of Christ to teach the early churches and us how to live lives of love. You know, there's much debate among psychologists whether love is natural or learned. Is it the result of socialization? Is it innate? Are we all capable of love? I have long argued we're all mixed up over the meaning of love. We've trivialized love. We use it to explain our impulses, our excuses, our weaknesses. We confuse love with passion and sex. We confuse it with abuse and manipulation and power. You know, I like the titles of country songs because they tell us so much about how we look at love. One of my favorites, when you leave, walk out backwards so I think you're walking in. Or the other one, I liked you better before I knew you so well. Or here's one, when you wrap my lunch in a road map, I knew you meant goodbye. (laughs) We are confused about love. There is absurdity in our way that we look at it. The Bible indicates a boundlessness to this unconditional, sacrificial, agopic love, God's love. It's greater than knowledge, the Bible says. There's no running out. There's never too much. Paul writes in Galatians 5 that love is the fruit of the Spirit, a gift of God. And then in his letter to the church in Colossae, he writes, we must put on love. The first thing that strikes me about these texts is that although this true love is is from beyond, there is something you have to do to access it. In the early church, when people were baptized upon conversion, they would take off their old clothes and after immersion in the water would be given a new set of clothes. That's where Paul gets this clothing metaphor. He wants the Colossians to know that new patterns of behavior are necessary in this new life. You could always find Paul balanced between spiritual and physical, the supernatural, and the practical. 
That's what separates biblical love from worldly love. The love of the world, well, that's natural love. That's of the flesh. But God's love is is of the spirit. So Paul then lists a number of virtues to be practiced in this new belief. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. These are wonderful habits that we should express, but they can still be separated from love. We know that because the text says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. So you can practice great ethical, moral virtues and still not show love. It's like Corinthians 13. You can speak in tongues. You can have the gift of prophecy. You can have great faith and miss out on love. Of course, we know there are a number of biblical distinctions of love. There's eros, that's the romantic or the sexual. There's philio, the brotherly. The Greeks came up with all kinds of different loves, but this agapic love of which the Bible speaks is the highest love because it's from God. 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. That means all good roads lead to God. No matter what kind of love we're talking about, brotherly, sisterly, romantic, sexual, it all must flow from and ultimately to God for it to be meaningful. How do we get this gift? When you speak about fruit, you're talking about the natural result of growth. This growth is not based on our striving and straining. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We abide in God and God abides in us. The discipline of love you express to each other then is ruled by the discipline of your motivation. What gets you going? You see, motivation is the construct that explains our behavior, why we do what we do. It is that desire that compels us to act. And we're motivated by all kinds of things, peer pressure, guilt, materialism, pride. The Apostle Paul was motivated by the love of God. And the Bible says everything we do must be motivated by that same love. That is to know or to strive for the depth and height and width and breadth of true love. Love is not merely the action of meeting the needs of others. It's not simply to benefit others. It glorifies God. I love you not because I desire you. I love you not only because you need my love. I love you because God is love. And when I share my love, I am sharing God. Author and preacher John Bloom puts it this way, loving others is doing whatever it takes for them to have as much of God as they can. Now this has huge implications. It means that this true love cannot flourish apart from God. Anything that we do for each other that looks like love is not enough if God is not getting God's glory because it begins and ends with God. Huge implications, but in a way it's kind of simple. Check yourself. Is this glorifying God? Then this is practicing the discipline of love. The discipline of love is a matter of being clear about your motivation. God is as interested in why you're doing what you're doing as what you're doing. You know, there was this great sociologist, Abraham Maslow, who put forth an important theory on motivation. It was called hierarchy of needs. He said, humankind is motivated first by physiological needs and then by safety, social esteem. And according to him, the highest need is self-actualization, the realization of one's talents and potential. I disagree. 
I believe your greatest need is your need for love, for God. And once you know God and grow in God, your relationships, your acquaintances, your love for everyone else will grow accordingly. You will then understand what it really means to express this gentleness, this patience, kindness, humility, and compassion in a more effective way. It doesn't mean that you will love perfectly. It doesn't mean that you will live perfectly. But you'll be on your way because, you see, your standard will be set. You will have connected yourself to the highest standard, the standard of God's love. Practicing the discipline of love is looking for God in every face. It's focusing on God in all your actions. It's apologizing to God for every misstep. And it's forgiving. You know, we don't talk a lot or we don't talk enough about forgiveness. And that's this whole notion that I think we need to work on more than anything. The discipline of love is the discipline of forgiveness. We have to learn to forgive each other as Christ forgave us. That's hard. I've been holding on to stuff from 1957. I don't want to forgive you because you took my pencils in school. We all like to hold on to stuff. It keeps us going. It gets our heart pumping. If, if I'm not mad at her, then who would I be? We're afraid to let go. But God tells us to let go because I've let go of stuff you've done. So we have to learn this notion of forgiveness. There is not enough forgiveness in the world between friends, between marital partners, between brother and sister even between strangers. Just when you get out in that traffic tomorrow, just make your decision before you start your car. I'm going to forgive everybody on I-93. I'm going to forgive that guy who cuts me off. I'm going to forgive that guy who blips the bird. I'm just going to forgive all of y'all because you need forgiveness. Apologizing is certainly important. But remember, Christ forgave us. And there was no apology. He just said, God, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. That's how God gets God's glory. Giving glory to God with everything you have. It all begins and ends with yielding your heart to the boundless power of God's spirit, God's grace, and God's love. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, roxburypresbyterianchurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. And we are thrilled to extend this special invitation to join us for our fall revival when we proclaim These Bones Shall Live, October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, starting at 7 p.m. at Roxbury Presbyterian Church.